Hello and welcome to All You Ever Wanted to Know. I am Jordan Patswold and in studio with me today I have Yorkton MLA Greg Ottenbright. Greg, it is good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Hey, not a problem. Well, along with just being Yorkton MLA, you carry many other hats in official <laughs> capacity and recently you were chairing the recent Federal, Provincial, Territorial Council of Ministers responsible for transportation and highway safety, uh, big meeting in Toronto. Uh, tell us, yeah. uh, has this been something uh, in a committee that you've been a part of for a while now in your government capacity? No, this is actually my first time to uh, be at the, the uh, Federal Provincial Territorial Minister, Minister Transportation Minister's meeting and this one in Toronto. And uh, You did that without looking down anywhere. I Props. <laughs> <laughs> It is your title, mind you. Yeah, up to this point, I've been uh, Minister of Rural and Remote Health. Uh, so I've, all the other previous uh, abbreviation will be FPTs I've been to have been around around the health portfolio uh, in and around parts of the country. Uh, this one specifically on highway and transportation safety and also uh, issues around that. So it's quite an interesting time to be at this. There's a lot of things going on, both because of uh, you know things that have happened in Saskatchewan over the last year or two, but also uh, you know things that have happened even more recently. Plus, uh, being able to uh, have the opportunity to, to co-chair this uh, this event with the federal minister Mark Garneau, which uh, it's it's an honor in itself. But also uh, take advantage of that position as chair to uh, to not only keep the meeting on track, but also to make sure that we got Saskatchewan's points and point of view and story on record as well. Not only in the closed meetings, breakfast and dinner meetings with my co-ministers, but also in the public, uh, somewhat public setting of the min- meeting itself, the official setting but also in the media uh, at the end of the, the meeting, at the end of uh, last Friday, would have been Valentine's Day. Uh, both co-chairs get podiums and present to the media, so we both get to contextualize what happened at the meeting mm-hmm. and uh, give kind of a, a brief of, of what's happened. And also it gives you an opportunity to kind of tell your story in your direction. So it was an opportunity for us not only uh, on behalf of all provinces, a lot of which were, are landlocked when we look at our export markets and our transportation situation within the country, but also uh, specifically how some of these things are impacting us and maybe to, to uh, point the direction forward from our perspective, but also to tell, again, a bit of our story. Specifically with Saskatchewan, I was able to talk about some of the challenges we've had specifically around rail over the last year, and as well, uh, and with the blockades and all that, but also uh, to tell our story when it comes to our natural resources, our oil, and uh, the benefits of that, and also how it would be better to transport that in pipelines as opposed to on rail. So it was a, a really a really good couple days uh, that we had in Toronto, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of huge ag- uh, agenda items that we did speak about when it came to highway safety and transportation corridors and, and the like. Now these sorts of meetings, uh, when they take place, I know when you were in your health minister's role, previous similar gatherings would take mm-hmm. place with other provincial health ministers. So this just seems like it is a common theme mm-hmm. that where ministers from all the provinces will gather, brainstorm ideas, outline different needs. Is that kind of the idea? Pretty much. I mean, you talk about, uh, when it comes to this one specifically, uh, a lot of us have different challenges when it comes to transportation. Uh, a lot of us have similar stories, but a, lo- a lot of us have uh, best practices or good ideas that we've implemented to benefit all of us across the country, share those with the federal minister, and where the need arises, have them try and integrate it into our national policies. Uh, other than that, again, share some of those be- best practices and stories. So from Saskatchewan's point of view, again, uh, export-based economy, very strong economy, 45% of the arable acres in the, in the country, largely agricultural, but also manufacturing and lumber and all the rest of it. 
uh, we've got to get those products to market. So talking about those specific things when it comes around transportation, that some wouldn't see Saskatchewan having a stake in the game, but we truly do when it comes to aviation and air travel. Uh, we've got some specific challenges and good stories to tell when we talk about accessing our north, as well as moving stuff, uh, products to market internationally. Uh, roadways obviously affects all of us somewhat the same with the Trans-Canada and, and the Highway 16 being the other Trans-Canada Highway, uh, predominantly through the province. Uh, we have a lot of uh, information and stories to tell there as well. Rail, obviously, you know, probably talk about that more in detail before the end of this interview. But also marine, uh, you know, they don't, people don't realize the impact marine has on us, but realistically, we can get our export products to market through the transportation system, get them to the coast, but we need that strong marine export capability as well. So, I mean, that gave us an opportunity, uh, I spoke about pipelines previously, to lobby the federal minister on behalf of the provinces about Bill C-69, which effectively will eliminate any future pipeline projects in the country. We've got the TMX that may go through. Uh, it's being worked on right now. Oh, we need more capacity than that. We need north, south, east, and west, not only just this one to the west. So we were able to talk about that predominantly. Again, getting that oil off of trains, a more safe way to transport would be pipelines. Um, you know, but when we get that product to market, we got to have it offshore. And BLC 48 that the federal government has brought in, it, it virtually eliminates tankers on the West Coast. Uh, meanwhile, letting all these Venezuelan, not Venezuelan, but uh, Saudi Arabian and other not quite as uh, humane countries import their oil at a very high cost to our refineries in the East instead of exporting or moving our oil from Saskatchewan, the prairies over to the East and utilizing that. So now our, our avenue to get our oil offshore to the west is effectively shut down because of the tanker ban. So Bill C-48 doesn't help us at all. Gives us a chance to talk about even the carbon tax, how it imp implicates and, and penalizes provinces like Saskatchewan when we have a do, do have a very good climate action plan with prairie resilience and the effectiveness of that. Some of the other things we've done in the area of renewables, uh, increase of renewable sources of energy, uh, uh, clean coal, all those different aspects of our economy that we, we need to be recognized. So it, again, gives us a chance to tell that story but also imp, uh, talk about a lot of the successes and things we've learned uh, when it comes specifically to highway and traffic safety. Mm -hmm. uh, Humboldt Broncos tragedy is very fresh in people's minds even to this day. And because of that, uh, we've implemented a lot of uh, initiatives when it comes to truck driver training, uh, commercial transport safety, intersection safety, highway safety that we were able to share with our colleagues uh, on the national stage where the federal government is implementing uh, national standards when it comes to those areas. But looking at Saskatchewan, where we've gone, is quite a bit higher in some areas to those standards. So sharing some of our best practices that we've learned with other colleagues across the country to see if they want to implement them as well. So, you know, basically come up with a pretty, a pretty concise strategy across the country when it comes to these issues. So when we're moving products across the country from St. John's, Newfoundland over to Vancouver, in some cases, we don't have those bottlenecks. We don't have those those uh, encumbrances for moving our, our products across the country, regardless of where we are in the Confederation of Canada. Okay, well, uh, like you say, uh, with railways, I mean, that's been the hot topic, of course, mm -hmm. in recent weeks for a number of different reasons, whether it's been uh, another derailment in the Guernsey mm -hmm. area, for example, to now what we're starting to see with these blockades, which, I mean, going into those mm -hmm. meetings last week that you had in Toronto, I think they were really on that cusp of really becoming the big news story that, of course, now it has been and is dominating the headlines. Uh, was that able to be addressed too in some ways about what the government might be able to do? I mean, 
I know that's been a big talk of mm-hmm. uh, Premier Mo having a meeting of the premiers and talking about how this could be addressed and dealing with that with uh, the federal government. Was any of that able to be covered or was that still pretty fresh? No, absolutely. I mean, it was all pretty fresh in our minds. And, you know, that's when one way I was able to tell a pretty, I think, compelling stories on, story on behalf of the people of Saskatchewan, the province of Saskatchewan. When you consider the implications of rail, how much we rely on rail for import, export, largely export some import, it's a very important mode of transportation. Uh, when you consider over the last, specifically the last year, we had the CN rail strike and credit the CN once the strike was over to get those products moving and, and reduce some of the backlog of our agriculture and, and uh, resource uh, exports, which was great. So credit to the railways for responding fairly quickly to that. But as you pointed out, we had the derailment at Guernsey of the oil cars uh, only just over two months ago. Then only a couple of weeks ago, we had another one there. So that, uh, that had some strong implications, again, uh, on rail safety and environment, but also, again, on compelling story and to get oil off of rail into, into pipelines, giving us, again, more capacity for those other products that we export on the rail, not, not bottlenecking when it comes to our agriculture products and resource products, moving them out. So uh, that, in a, lot, a large, was uh, already on the topic list. But with the blockades, it was, uh, it was interesting for us to be able to... Uh, in real time, basically, as this was kind of transpiring, talk with the federal minister, he can convey to the prime minister some of the suggestions we had and some of the challenges we had uh, with that. Uh, Again, pointing out that these blockades were illegal. We believe people have the right to protest, but illegally blocking railways, effectively a few people with pallets here and there blockading specific and very important modes of transportation and and uh, and uh, and moving these products around the country very very simply without having the repercussions of the law being being applied and enforced, uh, the minister seemed fairly receptive to that. Uh, you know they were trying to walk a very fine line between you know respecting the protesters and uh, and trying to get this uh, this issue resolved. Uh, able to point out to him that uh, you know it needed to be resolved quite quickly, otherwise we're going to see what we see starting to happen now with people taking the law into their own hands to move some of these blockades. Thankfully, it hasn't been violent yet, but the federal government really has to act quickly and concisely within the realm of their power, which is within the law, to uh, remove these blockades. Uh, you know, the one thing I found very interesting in, in a lot of this was, was the message behind the blockades as well. Uh, there's no doubt uh, the Wet'suwet'en people, the, the elected leaders, 20 different uh, sections of them uh, are supportive of the, this LNG, this liquid natural natural gas pipeline that's within, it's a provincial pipeline in BC, approved by BC, uh, that benefits the people. They're in favor of it. Uh, When they talk about the hereditary chiefs, there's only five, I think, that didn't respond to consultation, didn't seem to, you know, want to to take part in the consultation, but the rest of them, the majority were in favor of this this project. So to me, it's 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 kind of strange that you have these other groups outside of the jurisdiction of the Wet'suwet'en people that are protesting this pipeline for the purposes of environment, so they're saying. Uh, so they don't really have a stake in the game. The people directly impacted are f- far in majority in support of this. So it kind of begs the question, and we quite often hear about outside, outside sources trying to impact our energy industry, which seems pretty obvious that's what's happening here. It's being funded and pushed by sources outside of our, our country, outside of our energy industry for their own purposes against our, our better interests. So that, that uh, doesn't get lost on me. <laughs> I kind of dwell on that a bit. But also when you think about rail being one of the most environmentally responsible ways to move large product and people in the country, these people in the, 
in the scope of environment are blocking an environmentally sustainable and responsible way to transport these large items or people by blockading that very resource, that railway tracks. It doesn't make any sense. To me, it's very hypocritical. So you really wonder, and they, I think they realize that it's a very effective way to get the attention of, of people and get their way. So sure. it's, uh, you know, it's been something we've been dealing with in the province as well, pressuring the federal government on very many levels to address it properly and quickly before it does get out of hand, impacts the economy. And now when we see the imp implications in the rail industry, with I think 14, 1,500 people are now laid off from their jobs because of these blockades. Uh, they do have to act quite quickly. So we did have a lot of opportunity to pressure them on that. All right. So all you ever wanted to know today with uh, Greg Ottenbright, uh, recently part of meetings in uh, Toronto, talking about the transportation issues going on in uh, the country, uh, outside of the scope of even these uh, blockades, which were only breaking when these news, uh, sorry, when these meetings were held in Toronto. And also, uh, like you said, with the federal government having representation there, Minister Garneau mm -hmm. uh, from what you're saying here uh, did seem like uh, they were, at least they're willing to listen. I mean, what it goes from here ultimately mm -hmm. remains to be seen. Uh, but I mean, sometimes it's been shown federally. Uh, I mean, sometimes those opposing voices can't even be heard. So at least yeah. you were able to get some of those messages across. Yeah, and credit to Minister Garneau as well. I mean, he brought up in a private meeting about possible sabotage to rail signals uh, in certain areas across the country. Um, I can't say my own perspective is he maybe they wanted to keep some of that quiet, but he was public, I think, earlier this week about some of the sabotage to actually put light on the situation, how serious it was, and to what lengths some of these uh, these uh, protesters were going to, actually endangering people's lives uh, for the purposes of their own agenda. So it's, it's quite concerning. So credit to him for that. As well as we had heard from the rail companies, uh, if people remember shortly after the last Guernsey crash just a couple of weeks ago, the federal government implicate, or um, imposed a 25 mile an hour speed limit on trains across the country, regardless of where they were. Uh, I give them credit for responding very quickly to that to keep uh, people safe with the rail, uh, rail system in the country. But if you look at the system that actually compounded the problem, because with the blockades, or there were some rail lines that weren't even in operation, and the ones that were in operation, because of that 25 mile an hour limit, were backing up like crazy, like it's just a huge bottleneck. Uh, we had spoken to the leadership of the rail companies, uh, I think there was a bit an earlier Thursday, right before we started the official part of our meetings, and the story that they told us was they felt very confident they could supply safe rail service by using a common sense approach of, yes, limiting the number of oil cars on trains for the time being till they, they got the, the reports back from the accidents, but also to uh, limit those speeds down in urban settings uh, that uh, you definitely need the safety. Uh, more out in the open area, they could speed up slightly, would greatly reduce that backlog. But also in some of the secondary lines, some of the lines where they're not carrying any oil, they're carrying only hard products and agricultural products, they could actually do their normal speed. There was no issue shown in the past number of years with some of those areas and some of those commodities on those trains to actually pick up the speed and, and get rid of that backlog. So credit to Minister Garneau that he did listen to that from, uh, from us through the rail companies and has lifted those uh, limitations in some areas, more of a common sense approach to make sure that we have rail, very safe rail transportation, especially pertaining to oil that's on the cars right now, but also to open up those corridors that we can get those products moving to coast and uh, you know, hopefully getting on, on the boats that uh, we can get some of those products out and uh, get those commodities to market to lessen the implications on our agriculture producers and resource industries. Mm -hmm. And 
and Block- the rest of the citizens. And those blockades obviously uh, make it uh, challenging continuing on. Some people also pondering the question of, you know, whose responsibility and jurisdictions of police in this part of the country versus this part of the country. Hey, doesn't CN have its own police mm-hmm. department? What are some of, I guess, uh, I guess, can you provide some clarification over, okay, uh, for example, like say the CN remark, someone right. throws that out there. Why yeah. can't CN do this themselves yeah, with their police? No, any, any law enforcement agency can enforce the laws. And uh, it's pretty clear that railways are federal jurisdiction. The short lines in the province, for example, are more uh, provincial jurisdiction, but railways are federal jurisdiction. The rail companies do have their own police, but for something like this to be safe and to approach a, a blockade property, you have to have that tactical support. Uh, they don't have that within the within the railway police. Mm. The RCMP are a federal police force. They are responsible. Uh, you know, so I, I believe, uh, you know, they've even said publicly, and I, I've heard from other provincial police forces or, or retired people from provincial police forces that politicians shouldn't tell the police how to do their job. And I haven't specifically heard any politician in any case tell the police how to do their job. They've simply requested the police to do their job to enforce the laws, enforce the injunctions that have been brought forward by the courts on behalf of the the intent of the law. So, uh, you know, I think that's imperative that that we do see that happen uh, to keep people safe. We don't see some of the the cases where people taking the law into their own hands, removing blockades and, and possibly opening up to something that's more confrontational than it needs to be. So, you know, again, that's that's all I've heard. Uh, you know, I've got to quite honestly question some of the Prime Minister's remarks where he said, uh, you know, they're not going to tell the police what to do, but then only a day or two later he's talking about requiring the police to come out of what's away in territory. So, again, not to be too political, but I'm questioning why you'd say you don't have jurisdiction to tell the police what to do, but then you tell them what to do. So, I mean, that, that doesn't show, I don't think, strong leadership and uh, a concise uh, mode of leadership. So, I mean, we're calling on the Prime Minister and the federal government to, to be consistent, enforce the laws, to keep the peace, and reinforce democracy and reinforce our laws. So that's really what needs to be done right now mm-hmm. uh, in this situation before we see more and more blockades without implications or repercussions. And again, people may be taking things into their own hands and, uh, and opening these rails and these roadways on their own. All right. Well, going back to the meeting one more time, as you met with, uh, I mean, federal counterparts, provincial mm-hmm. counterparts from across the country regarding infrastructure and that sort of thing. Um, any update in terms of, I know a lot of uh, municipalities, for example, uh, they're always uh, looking for mm-hmm. ways that they can also fund projects within their own mm-hmm. communities. W- was there anything along those lines, any progress on maybe some kind of new deal or anything like that that might fund more dollars into this sort of thing? You know, not really a new deal with more dollars, but some flexibility. For example, on on the part of the province, and I think it would implicate a lot of uh, even our northern territories, northern parts of our province, excuse me, uh, we've got northern airports that we need to have access in, and Fond du Lac in Saskatchewan is a good example where we're looking at upgrades post uh, the accident, the tragedy that happened up there. There is federal funding that flows through to some of these projects, but there's quite limited flexibility, which is understandable in some areas. Mm-hmm. When we get to the north, you're limited by uh, you know amount of paving you can do and, and some of these other uh, specifics. Uh, so we've asked, uh, and it wasn't really the official part of the agenda, but I had the opportunity to speak to the minister uh, a couple of times and forward our case for more flexibility in some of those programs or even in some of the other uh, combined uh, programs that we have on some of the inter- the national railway or uh, not railways but the roadways in, in the country specifically running through our provinces so, so able to do that 
uh, you know, some of the things that we talk about that, that impact us all, school bus safety, for example, that was big on our agenda, truck safety I talked about in training, uh, you know, having more of a, a, a standardized uh, truck training and, and, uh, and regulation across the country. But also, uh, again, recognizing school bus safety, where we can do better there. Uh, you know, put some regulations in place that are pretty standard across the country when it comes to keeping our kids safe on school buses. Uh, commercial vehicle safety, uh, hazardous goods transportation, even recognizing uh, those national corridors for transportation. I talked about some of the regulations and things, but how we can better streamline our national national system for for uh, actually having what we would call a pan-Canadian competitive trade corridor to be able to seamlessly move our, our products through the country without having uh, those encumbrances. And again, not specifically, uh, you know, it's pipeline part of that, but it is a big part of our export to make sure that all provinces have access to that kind of, that transmission infrastructure. Uh, you know, there's just a, a lot of different items that probably too much to talk to speak to here but uh, again from my former history as a remote health minister rural and remote health minister uh, the specific area around transportation in northern and remote regions there's a task force that we have developed there but talk about not only the the road and not so much the rail but a lot of uh, water transport when you start going to northern and remote regions but also again focusing on that air and how we can make it more accessible not only for just moving people uh, as as a rule, just for uh, for day to day operations, but moving um, uh, products, food, and other products that can help alleviate the expense of living in northern regions. So more focus on roads and and bringing the cost of aviation down, but also making aviation more reliable and uh, and safe. So things that we've done in the province here, for example, some of our northern airports has expanded uh, the GPS approach capability for aircraft, uh, increasing the lighting capability for poor weather, increasing the automatic weather observation system so the weather is more reliable, sure. reporting is more reliable, uh, remote cameras that pilots can actually see what, this, what the actual surface conditions are before they fly in, uh, generator backup, all that type of stuff to make sure we can move the aircraft in and out Again, uh, reliably, but predominantly for, in my, my case anyway, focusing on that health aspect to make sure we can get air ambulances in and out to make sure we, we can reliably give uh, health care services and move people for those purposes as well. All right. Well, uh, if you have anything else, Greg, I'll give you an opportunity here, or that pretty much does it for your meetings last week in Toronto? That was, I mean, there was a lot happened in those few oh, sure. days, but that was kind of a thumbnail sketch and... Uh, you know, again, it's really an honor to, to serve in that capacity. And uh, and uh, although many would realize and believe that we don't have a lot, uh, uh, we have a lot of um, uh, battles from time to time with our federal government. Uh, Minister Garneau was, again, very open to, to hearing and, uh, you know, very, uh, very respectful of all the ministers and their points of view there. But also I uh, had the opportunity to... Uh, to commend him on his past service. He's, uh, of course, served in our military as a commander and eventually a captain on in the Navy. And many would know him as uh, a, a, a Bay specialist in the space shuttle. He actually served as an right. astronaut for, uh, for a time. So it's pretty interesting to share some stories as an aviation geek and somebody <laughs> that really likes space and, and, uh, and uh, you know, the whole, the whole realm of astronauts and to actually to speak with one there, although we're politically a little bit different at line, but uh, have a lot of commonalities as well. And that's one thing that really was obvious to me at this meeting as well. Uh, different ministers from different jurisdictions have different political backgrounds, maybe even within the same political background, a little bit different philosophies, 
but uh, you know, including the federal minister and some of the territorial ministers, but to come there and have so many commonalities that we could discuss, come to agreement on, to move uh, things forward within a united Canada is something that was really encouraging to see and experience. Well, inside look, if you will, uh, that we got yeah. to hear from you, Greg. Thanks so much, as always, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thanks for the opportunity, Jordan. Have a good day. All you ever wanted to know on The Rock 98.5. Until next time, have yourself a wonderful day and be blessed.